0: Support for Think Humanities is brought to you by the Spalding University School of Creative and Professional Writing.
1: Think Humanities, a podcast for people who love history, philosophy, culture, literature, civic dialogue, and the arts. Think Humanities, from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 51 years. Here's your host, Bill Goodman.
0: On the podcast today, we want to introduce you to Nancy Ritchie from Bowling Green and Western Kentucky University, where she is a professor and faculty member, a librarian, reading room coordinator, and visual resources librarian. But we also want to introduce you to Mose Rager, a Kentuckian you might not know and we're going to meet Mo's through Nancy's uh, eyes and ears. So first of all, Nancy, welcome to Kentucky Humanities uh, Think Humanities podcast.
1: Thank you so much. I can't think of a better way to spend a cold spring day.
0: Well, it is a little chilly uh, in both uh, East and West, I would imagine. So we're uh, or South Central, uh, as we know, Bowling Green and South Central Kentucky to be uh, in. Um, Tell us about uh, Mos Rager and and maybe, first of all, uh, how you learned of him and how you stumbled up on uh, the interest that you have in Mos Rager.
1: Of course, as a librarian, I'm always getting lots of questions, as you can imagine, uh, people wanting help with research topics, and so a patron came in uh, one day into the uh, Special Collections Library, and she wanted to talk about Mose Rager, and I must say, as, as a person who's not musically inclined at all, uh, he, this was a new topic for me, but as I began to help her and to learn more about Mose Rager uh, himself, I realized, at least for me, it's not from a musical perspective. I mean, I'm interested, of course, in the history more, I guess, than the music, but <clears throat> I begin to see his influence in that way. Uh of how that he was sort of the progenitor of this thumb picking style that's now known all over the world.
0: Well, Nancy is a a member of our Speakers Bureau, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Nancy is available along with a a host uh, of um, and a a great group of uh, scholars and experts and speakers uh, who are available to come to your civic club or your classroom or your church or your social function and uh, talk to you about a variety of, of subjects uh, that range uh, anywhere from beekeeping to uh, many, many topics of history of Kentucky, uh, a varied amount of uh, uh, tourist attractions that uh, people can talk about. Uh, there's just a, a, a wide variety. If you go to our website at kyhumanities.org and pull down the tab under Speakers Bureau and read their biographies and their availability to come in, and speak to you from um, their home uh, virtually or uh, to travel and, and speak to you in person. And Nancy Ritchie is uh, our expert, our only expert on Mose Rager. So you really stumbled upon Moe's because somebody came in looking for, uh, did you happen to ask that person how they stumbled on Moe's Rager?
1: Well she was from the area that Moses is from uh Drexboro, uh Muhlenberg county, and she just she just knew that he was a subject worthy of more recognition he He had been featured in in regional newspaper articles and uh you know sat, he had some publicity they called him the Pied Piper of Muhlenberg county so so he was known for his uh musical abilities, but as far as uh, any kind of extensive research on him, uh, that was what she was wanting. She was wanting to bring him to the attention to someone who could uh, make that happen.
0: Who else is from Muhlenberg County that we might know, Nancy?
1: Well, the Everly Brothers from that area, uh, Merle Travis, uh, those those are the, uh, well, of course, the the Everly Brothers father, he was quite a musician himself, Uh, uh, but those are the ones that come to mind.
0: And do we know how Moe's learned to play the guitar or, and he developed this special uh, thumb picking style. Is that correct? Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Well, he, you can get into some, uh, I always say there's another book there because there's, there's several characters involved in the story, but, but, but Moe's would have first heard that thumb picking style from, uh, his father uh, that was a beginning influence but then there was uh kennedy jones now kennedy jones wants credits for that uh uh thumb picking style and he will say i learned this from my mother but then there's a an arnold schultz that begins to come into the picture he was sort of a a wandering uh minstrel uh, african-american who he would just uh, go up and down the river uh, all the way to the mississippi river and so some want to say that most uh, that Arnold Schultz was a father, but Kennedy Jones was very, very clear in that he learned this wonderful thumb-picking style from his mother, and then then Arnold, Sh- Mose Rager then uh, learned from, he fell in love with the style uh, from Kennedy Jones, and then, uh, as I mentioned, then Merle Travis picked it up from this, this wonderful Mose Rager. And then it's, it's just traveled on down. So it, you can get sort of a, a family a family tree or a tree where, where all of those limbs come together who have created this wonderful style.
0: Now, we're uh, recording this, of course, uh, and people are listening to us uh, on a podcast on audio. But if you were to describe visually what the thumb picking style might look like or how it works on the, um, the fret board or on the face of the guitar, how, how would you do that?
1: Well, as a musician, you know, they'll, they'll always like to say, well, you know, I, I know, I don't know music at all. Uh, I, you know, I, uh, about the old thing about carrying a tune in a bucket. Well, I couldn't even find a bucket, but, <laughs> but, uh, I've learned enough to at least, uh, speak about it but but it, it's almost like uh, if you could think of it as as one musician becomes a one-man band so one musician with thumb and and fingers they're playing the four major elements uh, the melody the harmony the rhythm and the bass all uh all themselves and so if if people can see mose on youtube and and of course if any uh, visual of merle travis you'll see what that means as, as they're, uh, creating that beautiful sound.
0: Now that's the second time you've mentioned Merle Travis. Uh, so tell us about, uh, Merle Travis, his background. Uh, he's a little bit better known maybe to some, uh, pickers and, and guitar players and, um, old time, um, uh, music, um, uh, fans, but tell us, uh, in your own words, uh, about Merle Travis.
1: So, um, uh, Merle would have been about 15 when he uh, began to learn about Mose Rager. So, you know, Mose Rager was a coal miner. He was a barber, a grocery store owner, all of those, you know, sort of secondary uh, way to make a living. His father would tell Mose Rager that, that thumb pickers or musicians were lazy and his father-in-law said they weren't worth killing. So Mose never had a really good... uh uh you know, he, he the idea of making a living as a musician it just did not occur to uh, Mose. Uh, but but when it, Merle Travis was, of course, from that area, and he he knew he had to meet this smiling, blonde headed man. He called him, and he wanted to to learn that beautiful style. And Mose Rager was always so gracious. His door was always open to any musician to, to anyone and so that's where that Merle began to get that style uh, he he took that those elements those beautiful elements and then he created his it just he just took it and made it even more than than what he had learned from but he uh, he would always go back and say uh Mose Rager uh taught me this I learned this and then he, he modified it a bit added uh refined but he would always say that that nobody uh, we were all imitators of the greatest and the greatest he considered was Mose Rager.
0: You've mentioned some other names uh, that uh, folks might be uh, more familiar with, like Chet Atkins. Did they learn from, say, Merle Travis or did they learn directly from Mose Rager? How, how did some of these other names and you can mention those, too, if you want, uh, including one famous uh British uh, guitar player, um, how, how did they, did they learn directly from Mose Rager?
1: I would say for Chet Atkins, I mean, I know that they met, he listened to him, but I would say he learned more from Merle Travis. Uh, Chet Atkins used to say, if it were not for uh, Merle Travis, he would be looking at the back end of a mule. <laughs> so he was always clear about, you know, it, it was that wonderful, wonderful lineage of of where it would uh, because Mose Rager was so uh, open to helping any new musician or any, anyone interested in it. And so it, he, but Ted Atkins would have learned more from Merle Travis and he, and then Ted Atkins took it even farther, of course, uh, in, in the way that he played the guitar. And, but there's so many that, uh, you know, George Harrison will even mention about the thumb picking style and, and uh, you know, not, not any relation to Mose Rager, but just the, 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 uh, the style of thumb playing. So it, it, has a, it has a wonderful, the way that he was able to share the love of the music and that ability. Uh, he, he, uh, he played Mose Rager, played professionally for about 10 years, but he hated the road. He, he did not like traveling at all. He hated to be away from home. He did not like the lifestyle that he was. He was a very religious person. And he did not like the lifestyle of being on the road and the drinking. And he felt like he was beginning to go down that road. And so after about 10 years, he had had enough of that and, and came back home. Uh, and that was where he always wanted to be.
0: Did he play music at home?
1: He did. Uh, he Uh Like I said, his door was always open. Uh, he would invite anyone in. There was never a stranger. At one time, he said, now, I'm just going to play for my friends. I'm not going to play. Not going to be out uh, about. I'm going to play at home. I'm going to play for my friends. Uh, but someone said, "Well, the whole world was his friend, and so he never he you know it, door was always open. He did stop for a while. Um, his son got killed in 1970, and as I said, he was a very religious man, a very humble man, and he just he thought, well, you know, maybe God doesn't want me to be playing this type of music, or he just went through a, a deep depression. Uh, of course, as we all might do through the loss of a son uh and so he stopped playing for a while uh he did not want to do anything that uh he felt dishonored god but in in 1973 he was invited to uh go to washington for the uh, folklife festival and so he began to see that he could not only play he could be a good religious person uh, and then he could also share this beautiful music he would say that he could be uh of the um in the world but not of the world and so that was that was his thinking
0: how do you describe the music that uh, he played and developed uh, and he learned from others? We often uh, hear uh, music in Kentucky uh, described as uh, Appalachian music or uh, music out of eastern Kentucky. Of course, Muhlenberg is, is uh, a long distance from that area. Um, was it, uh, does it have a particular name or style that it is known by?
1: It would be just the thumb picking style. And uh, I think it, you know, may have started out as a regional style, but because of the beauty of it, it's gone far beyond uh, beyond that. And so it's, it's sometimes uh, called Travis picking, uh, thumb picking, as I mentioned. And then you can even say that Muhlenberg sound. And anyone who knows music, uh, guitar playing will know what you're talking about
0: is um as far as you know uh i, I think there are st- still some music halls uh, in in mühlenberg county uh are there uh is that music still being played there
1: it is they have an annual mose Rager day uh mose was born in april of 1911 so every april uh and i've been uh, blessed to be able to go to one of those uh and they just continue they have uh you know a uh, potluck so it's just a wonderful time i know Dr. Carlton Jackson, uh, my late co-author, he went down there several times and spoke with uh, not only the older musicians, but the upcoming ones. Uh, one of the most famous, still carrying on uh, the style locally, uh, is Eddie Pennington. And then there are some young young people coming along, uh, still fascinated by the beautiful style.
0: Uh, tell us, uh, I, I have heard of Eddie Pennington. He is a Kentuckian, is that correct?
1: Yes, that's right. and he's uh, he's just uh, you know he's been at some of the folk life festivals, uh, still very well known. He wrote the foreword to the book uh, and talked about his love for Mose Rager and, and just what a fine, not only a fine musician but a fine man that he was. And um, so uh, he, he still carries on that tradition.
0: Did When Mose played, or when his music, uh, yeah. his style is played today, does he play uh, accompanied by other uh, instruments, uh, other guitars, or, or other uh, country sounds, like um, maybe a bluegrass sound like the banjo or the dobro or another uh, instrument like that?
1: I've heard him uh, and seen him, of course, and he, he's just playing by himself. And sometimes, you know, the beauty of that style is so is so um, it's just lovely by itself. And it's fascinating. If you watch, of course, uh, the hands of the musician, you'll pick up quickly the thumb picking style, what it what it would mean. And so the he was only recorded professionally. Uh, he did some they called it the hot guitar licks on a a curly fox. CD and sometimes you can still find that and and you can hear that that uh, how beautiful that was. In the 1940s, his playing on that Curly Fox and Texas Ruby uh, album uh, was one of the best sellers. It sold over 600,000 copies. So his work is still out there to be heard. uh, And that, of course, that was a part of a group. But the times that I've seen him, uh, he's just playing by himself.
0: And Grandpa Jones is also mentioned um, in your description of the talk that you give for Kentucky Humanities Speakers Bureau. Grandpa Jones, uh, probably more famous for his uh, uh, hee-haw portrayal uh, than uh, anything, but he was uh, quite a musician and himself. Did he learn the, um, uh, he played, I believe, the banjo, did he not? And did he learn the the thumb picking style uh, and adapt that to the banjo playing?
1: Well, actually, uh uh, Grandpa Jones learned to play uh, the banjo from uh, a wonderful folk singer that I'm working on right now, cousin Emmy. And Bill, as you may know, she's from Barron County. Uh, and I did so, know
0: that we've done one of our Think History segments on cousin Emmy. Yes, yeah. huh?
1: So, so uh, Grandpa Jones learned that uh, banjo picking style from her, the old Frailing style, uh, and so uh, that that's where he, that he because he's known so much for the banjo that I think that that's where that he got, that was, uh, he'll, he'll say that cousin Emmy was a wild and crazy performer, but she sure <laughs> knew her stuff. And uh, that's where he, he learned that from her.
0: Yeah. Uh, we're talking about Mose Rager, but, but tell us a little bit, uh, just because of, uh, you, you brought up uh, cousin Emmy's name. Uh, she was from a uh, Barron County, uh, from the Glasgow area. Uh, and uh, had had some notoriety, appeared on uh, several network shows. Tell us what do you know about Cousin Emmy?
1: Well, I'd love to. I, I I've actually gave a presentation one time uh, that it's it was called Chasing Cousin Emmy, and so I've been chasing Cousin Emmy for about ten years now, and she uh, she's beginning to take take uh, shape on paper uh but she uh born in Barren county or i like she would say that she was from lamb kentucky hmm. and her father was such a rascal uh such a uh, uh criminal that uh, i i like to say it, it, she was born in lamb or in monroe or or uh, uh Barren county it depends on what side her father was being chased by the law <laughs> uh, but she uh just to you know, she was Dolly Parton before Dolly Parton. She was Minnie Pearl before Minnie Minnie Pearl. She was the head of a a traveling band when it was not accepted. I know Roy Acuff once tried to promote uh, a a young lady as you know just a standalone act, and that the the audience would not accept that at all. Though you know they had to be cousin Emmy or they had to be a sister so and so. But cousin <laughs> Emmy was uh she had her own band. She was proud of it. And she was an astute businesswoman. Uh, She, you know, not well educated uh, formally, but she could she knew how to take care of business and you didn't mess with Cousin Amy. So she was quite a a pioneering uh, female uh, musician. And uh, I look forward to people learning more and more about her.
0: Uh, there's something about uh, music in Kentucky. Do you find that in, in your research uh, that uh, that is also found in surrounding states like uh, Indiana and Ohio? And uh, maybe there's a little bit down in Tennessee uh, next to us uh, in Virginia and West Virginia. Uh, is Kentucky pretty unique when it comes to to this kind of music and, and the founders of this kind of music?
1: Well, I, I think so. Of course, we have the the music uh highway uh and then you know the western kentucky where mose rager is from uh it's known for that regional style that thumb picking and the eastern kentucky you know a different type uh and then even in this area we were this area the of course we're in south central kentucky more of a fiddle playing and banjo playing and so each each kentucky area had a a, a different style the the thumb picking was influenced by the steamboats. Of course, they're coming in over the river, and then the mountains were more naturally more isolated. And then we got a little bit and piece of everything here in South Central Kentucky. But still, uh, we focused on the the fiddle or the violin, of course, uh, more so than the the other uh, areas of the state. But there is something, and I, I you know, I, I'm sure there. are, our good explanation for it or what what would talk about what makes Kentucky so musically inclined. Uh, uh, I don't, there's not a really good definition, but I know that it is. And, uh, and so uh, the whole state, you know, is to be proud of that, that ability to produce such beautiful music and singing.
0: Talking with Nancy Ritchie, uh, a member of our uh, speakers bureau Uh, roster. Uh, Nancy is a a professor uh, at the Western Kentucky University campus uh, in the uh, library. A librarian uh, works with the students and faculty uh, throughout uh, the university system there. And we're going to have more with her right after we take this uh, short break from our great sponsors up the road a little bit in Louisville at Spalding University's uh, Graduate School in Writing. At Spalding University's Low Residency MFA program, creative writing students come to campus for an exciting week of learning each semester, followed by independent study from home that fits in with work and family life. Write prolifically, explore across genres, gain editorial experience on a literary journal, and become part of a lifelong writing community. Writers thrive at Spalding's Naslin Mann Graduate School of Writing, Learn more at spaulding.edu forward slash MFA or email school of writing at spaulding.edu. Nancy, give us an update on uh, what's happening in, um, in in South Central Kentucky and, and in at, at Western. Um, and I don't know if this is, uh, I should have checked this fact out before I even uh, ask you about it, but I recently heard that the the folk life program, which has been so prominent uh, at Western for so many years, so many graduates, uh, is has either been phased out or is being phased out. Is that uh, is that correct?
1: Yes, that's 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 the the word on the university campus. Dr. Erica Brady, I think she's in mourning. Uh, it's it's incredibly sad. As far as I understand it, uh, the, the enrollment has simply dropped. Uh, I don't know if the state saw that as, you know, how the, how the, now that, you know, they want majors that will produce a job. Uh, I'm not sure if that was part of the problem with the folklore program, Um, but yes, but Brent Borkman, the director of the museum, is trying to see about a resurrection of that program because it was internationally known.
0: Well, not only that, uh, there are only uh, two or three schools in the country, I understand, that are teaching uh, folk life uh, in in the graduate program, uh, and maybe even above that in the PhD level, uh, Indiana University being one of those or the University of Indiana um, and and Western and maybe one or two others, uh, which is quite rare uh, that, uh, and it really developed a a number of uh, graduates that have gone on to to do some wonderful things in the folk life uh, arena.
1: Yes. Yes. Uh, uh, we still have, of course, all of the older folk life archives from that department and all of that. And I know there's some be- behind the scenes work, but, I, you know, they lost Dr. Michael Williams and Dr. Brady retired. And so it was sort of a um, miasma of, of bad conditions. But I think they're working on it and thinking about it. But as far as I know, um, you know, it may be a minor now, but not a major anymore.
0: Uh, what else is going on uh, in uh, on the campus, and that you can kind of tell us about uh, the work that that is being done in the library? How how has being a, a university librarian uh, changed over the years?
1: I always want to. I have have student librarians who are uh, uh, are interns, and they're in the library field, and they you know they're looking for direction, which way to go: public library, special collections. Or um, uh, you know, just a regular academic library. and I always, of course, say become a special librarian. I know that for uh, the academic library, things things come in shelf ready, so there's not a need for cataloging anymore. And and in a public library, of course, it's traditional. Traditional reference is dead in many places in the library world, and so. But in special collections, uh, you know, you can work with uh, some materials. Uh, as you get those uh, materials cataloged and people can see them, uh, those primary sources, that can be the source for original scholarship. And I'm so thankful and so blessed to work where I do in in special collections uh, to get that original material out for people to see and to dig around in and to to come up with something new in a scholarship field.
0: Is there any real concern that the general public should have or for academia to have, uh, for example, about uh, artificial intelligence and the use of uh, chat GBT and the uh, number of uh, other uh, AI uh, apps and uh, science that is out there? Has that become um, a topic of conversation and of concern to to you?
1: Well, it is. I is. I've just recently, just like everyone else beginning to learn about that. Uh, I tried it out myself. It's, it was pretty, uh, scary. The level of, uh, scholarship, you know, you can, you can say, you know, write, write a paper about the value of special collections libraries. And what came up was amazing because it pulled from every source you can imagine and put together a very cogent paragraph on the value of special collections, just, you know, just to try it out that way. And I know, Uh, Human nature, Uh, professors are going to have to be aware of that that's out there and how it's being used and and put in some safeguards uh, so that uh, we are the, the work that we're receiving is the students work and not AI.
0: Well, that's uh, a really interesting uh, way to look at it. And for the people listening to us in this conversation, we started off talking about Mose Rager and thumb picking, and now we're into uh, ChatGBT, but there is a, a a parallel. There is a link. Um, as you know, not only ChatGBT writing uh, text, uh, there are uh, AI uh, apps uh, developing uh, painting and artistry, uh, which is of concern to the art world. And I would imagine uh, it's already out there, um, uh, Nancy, that if you uh, could program someone to to play a, a particular uh, old-time tune, whether it be from Cousin Emmy or Mose Rager, in the thumb-picking style uh, through artificial intelligence, I can almost guarantee you that it would um, turn it around and, and spit it right out, don't you think it would?
1: Yes, from from what I've seen, just from that initial looking at it from the uh, the producing a, a, a paper, as I mentioned, uh, I, I know that it it will be done. And it's it's really sad because human beings are meant to create. That's part of our God given nature is to create things, and it, it gives us a purpose in life. And it's sad to think that yes, uh, just like any technology, it can be beneficial, but I believe it can also be very harmful.
0: Well, this came up in a conversation with some other uh, humanities directors uh, just uh, in the last few days. And we are now developing a conversation about um, humanities and AI for our national conference in the fall. So it's being addressed. You see it popping up all over. I'm sure that uh, if If the uh, library field hasn't already addressed it, uh, the research field hasn't already addressed it, it will soon uh, become uh, that topic. In fact, I have to tell you that just because he's uh, a Bowling Green, um, uh, went to Western and uh, South Central Kentucky native, uh, Joe Downing, the artist, uh, who a lot of people in uh, Kentucky do know, and and certainly in Bowling Green know, um, his name came up and, um, Uh, the people that I was with were not familiar with him at all. And we asked uh, the chat bot to um, write something about Joe Downing and it pulled from all of the aggregate sources that it does and wrote a really nice uh, piece on uh, the artist Joe Downing. So it's possible that it can do just about anything.
1: Yes, that's exactly what I've seen. And we've had uh, several open positions lately and each of the uh, librarian candidates and each of them has mentioned you know the effect that that may have on uh, the library world librarians world in particular uh, because it's already changed so much as i mentioned materials come in already cataloged and students want everything digitized and so uh, as librarians we're going to have to be looking at that uh, you know 10 years from now what, what's that going to mean for the profession
0: well, from artificial uh, intelligence to, to uh, thumb picking uh, with uh, with Moe's, uh, you've been an interesting conversation this afternoon on our Think Humanities podcast. Once again, Nancy Ritchie uh, is at uh, Western Kentucky University, but available to uh, either virtually or uh, travel to your location for a talk on um, uh, old time uh, style of uh, music, which is still alive and well uh, all across Kentucky. And um, we appreciate her uh, being with us uh, this afternoon. Nancy, uh, thanks so much for joining us.
1: Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Think Humanities is a podcast from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 51 years. Think Humanities is available at kyhumanities.org, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Join us next week for a new episode of Think Humanities.